You know, we, we learned some things about who Jesus really was by the names that his enemies called him. They didn't like it, but they were on to something when they would call him a name. And one of their names of Jesus was this, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. To them, that was a disgusting title. That was nomenclature of disdain. But it says something about him. I want to show you from your Bible this morning a couple of places where they got that name, why they came up with that name. If you will find Matthew chapter 11, the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11 part that we pick up on is when Jesus is paying tribute to John the Baptist, the forerunner, the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. And John has now been put to death. And Jesus is paying tribute to him in this section starting in about verse 7 and then all the way down through verse 19. But I want you to go with me to verse 15. Matthew 11, verse 15. Jesus is speaking. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend tax gatherers and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, Jesus said. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, Jesus the friend of sinners. A dictionary definition of the word friend goes like this. A person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically exclusive of sexual or family relations. Person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection. 
It's hard to see the noun friend as just a singular noun. A friend is identified in some senses of the word by the fact that there is an object of that friendship. There is another friend. For Jesus to be called the friend of sinners, it went in two directions. It went from Jesus to the sinner. But get this. Somehow, some way, it went from the center back to Jesus. Turn over a couple of pages to the left. Matthew chapter 9. Here's, here's how they got ammunition for this name calling. Matthew 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, in Matthew's house, Behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and the sinners? But when he heard this, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But then he says, but go and learn what this means. You Bible experts, you Old Testament scholars, you who want to hold me to the standard of the word that you claim is your authority, go and learn what this means. Hosea 6, 6. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Literally, I desire compassion more than sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Pick out, pick out church member in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, clothed in your right mind with a Bible under your arm. Pick out the most morally despicable lifestyle and the most morally despicable profession. Come up with a name or names and every place you see the name tax gatherer in the scripture. Insert your word, your name. And, and, then, and then reread all of this about Jesus and the friend of sinners, Jesus and his relationship there, and see how that sits with us. 
Which side of the aisle would, be, would we be on? Say, so, you know, the Pharisees had a point. Or it is amazing that this man who does so much in the power of God, who is so pure and so holy in his own life, and that, 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 that he would be drawn to people like that and put your name in. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Now here's the question. Don't anybody raise your hand and say that's me, but if, 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 the, if the truth is known right down today, right now today with us doing all that insertion and application, are we offended at the title? Jesus, the friend of sinners, or are we blessed by the title? And are we energized by the title? And are we motivated by the title? And are we directed by that called Jesus, the friend of sinners? For you see, if if at any point in time this friendship with sinners and their friendship with him was going to cause him to miss in perfect obedience God's will for him and plan for him, then he, it could not have been said to, about him that he was the lamb without spot and without blemish. Because his blood was pure, the sacrifice for our sins was complete. And we can say what Pastor Jerry taught us a while ago, I'm forgiven. But if some way or another his association with these tax gatherers and these sinners was going to stain him, taint him, infect him, then our forgiveness, the chance that our forgiveness through Jesus would have been lost. He was perfectly, completely, thoroughly obedient to the Father's will. And absolutely in sync with the Father's heart when he did such things as walk up to that tax gatherer named Matthew and say to him, follow me. Which was saying to Matthew, I want you to be numbered with me. I want you to go where I go, see what I see, be a part of what I do. Follow me. But you know what it also said? I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed to call you one of my own. Now, there were going to be some changes to come in Brother Matthew's life. But all the stuff that he was involved in, all the friends that he had at the time, all the choices that he had made at the time were not so offensive to Jesus that Jesus checked out on Matthew and moved down to the next person. He had designs on Matthew. In the middle of his junk, in the middle of his world, he said to Matthew, follow me. I'm telling you, he's saying that to some folks right now, even as I'm speaking those words. 
right in the middle of wherever you are, whoever you're with, how long you've been doing it. Jesus is saying, follow me. I'm not saying clean up first. I'm not saying be baptized in the Jordan River 45 times and six different Baptist churches 38 times. Just follow me. Right where you sit, Matthew, sitting behind that tax desk, your heart shifts. Follow me. Well, you read on down this. and happened that as he was reclining at the table, many of Matthew's friends and sinners came. And the sinners, marginal reading in your Bible may say non-religious or irreligious Jews. They were born into the Jewish race, but they were not practicing the Jewish religion. So they were just dubbed sinners. Because we're not seeing you at all the feasts, we're not seeing you at all the fasts, we hadn't exchanged money for you to do your temple deal. We're just calling you because you're not tied in with the religion. We're calling you a sinner. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like you never heard that before. Well, they don't go to church anymore. They're not at our place. We don't have about They're just a sinner. As if by saying that, we have the right to check out on them, and we have permission to just disengage and we dare not have that defilement around us because we're in church. Yeah, yeah, we are. Again, so where is Jesus? Where's he going? Who's he spending the evening or the afternoon with? Matthew's house. We don't know whether Matthew has repented yet. We don't know whether he's been baptized yet. We don't know anything about him. All we know is he just, Jesus had an attraction to him. He expressed that attraction in the form of an invitation. And, and the best way that old tax collector robed in all the stuff the tax collectors were robed in, he said, I'll follow you. And as he said that, he invited Jesus into his pagan, worldly, culturally debauched house. Jesus invited him to come, and he invited Jesus to come. And Jesus went. And it wasn't just a drive-by. You know, get up, get up. I figure we're in horse days. It wasn't a drive-by. He went into his house, took all of the disciples that were around him at that time. They went to. And they sat down, and they had a meal together. Jesus put the tax-gatherer's spoon in his mouth, put his feet under the tax-gatherer's table, and I don't believe that they spent the whole evening going through the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus, Jesus sought a friendship. There was courtesy. There was respect. 
there was a sense, had to be, that Jesus wanted to be there. Didn't have to, but wanted to be there. Wanted to be in the most morally despicable lifestyle and profession humanoid on the planet. Wanted to be there? Evidently so. And the tax gatherers, the religious police, the ones who have God all boxed up, know how God operates, know how God thinks. You have a question? Just ask one of those religious police. They'll tell you. And they're freaking out. How can a self-respected young Jewish man want to call himself a rabbi, a teacher of the law? How in the name of common sense can he be seen where he is currently being seen? To which Jesus says to them, You go back and look in your own law. You go back and study it again. You look with not just casual interest, but you look with a determined study. That's what Jesus, the type of word he's using when he says you, you go and learn what this means. Because obviously you hadn't learned it. Go learn this. Go learn this. And here's what you learn. The Lord speaking through prophet, I desire compassion more than sacrifice. I desire compassion. Let me show you another place, and your Bible will probably just open to this passage, this chapter anyway. Luke chapter 15. I know you're already there, just as I call that. I mean, you've been here so many times, but won't read the whole chapter, but just the first two verses. Luke's account was all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. It looked to Luke like, from the reports that he got, that all the tax gatherers who were card care and members of the guild had shown up. And the sinners, the, the ones who would hang with them. But it's an imperfect tense. It's a, it's a past tense verb that shows continuous action, ongoing action in past time. Not the same. They, they, the tax gatherers came to him as if it was a, he's just noting that they were there in past time. He, here he uses the form, the tense of the verb that talks about, and this was what was amazing to him. They were coming and they kept on coming and they were coming some more and they were coming, they were continuous action in past time. That's why it must have seemed like they were, that all of them were there because it took them a while to get there. They were coming near to him, to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives 
sinners and eats with them. The eat with them part registers another totally different take on things than our day where we can order fast food or we can get takeout. But if you were going to eat with somebody in those days, it, it, was, it was a few hours. It was an afternoon. It was an evening. The, the bottom line, he's spending so much time with them. And he's spending so much time with them where they live. I mean, he, he's in the middle of their stuff. He's eating their food. And he's hanging out with them. And we don't get that. We don't get how he could be God or a man of God or a prophet of God and do such things as that. Wouldn't he know that to stay holy and to be pure, you got to stay as far away from those knuckleheads, those yahoos, those dirt clods sucking air as you can get. So how does he do that? This man receives sinners. Two meanings for the verb receives. To receive kindly. This man receives kindly sinners. And then here's the killer. It meant to receive as a friend. To receive as a friend. This man, speaking of Jesus, receives as a friend. Sinners. I want you to leave there and go with me to another spot we've spent a little time on. The book of Titus and chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Now I want to start reading at the first of this chapter and read into verse 4. Paul is writing to Titus, who was given the instruction of helping to establish and train the leadership in churches that had been formed. So Paul says, Titus 3, verse 1, remind them, remind the leaders to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to, that literally means, to hurt the reputation of no one. Understand, this was not written in a democracy. It was written in the Roman world where leaders were leaders by hook or by crook, by who they knew or by how they had connived, in some cases maybe an honorable pursuit. Massive statement. You remind the leaders in the church, you remind the people of God to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to hurt not the reputation of another, to be uncontentious, to be given to fighting and fussing, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we all once 
were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures and spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The transition from the end of verse 3 to the beginning of verse 4 is indescribable particularly when you realize the author, the human author, and where he's coming from. Paul was trained a Pharisee. He was schooled in all of the scriptural treatments, all of the background references as to why a good upstanding follower of God has the right to look with disdain and scorn upon those who were not following the rules as they were following the rules. And it was of utmost importance that the reputation of the Pharisee be kept clean. So he had to be careful who he associated with, that he dared not touch a dead body or dare not touch a leper. You stayed away from all of those things because your personal purity was what would guarantee you some sort of a favorable audience with the holy God of all creation. So separation from moral filth and the attempt through various means to keep oneself unstained, unspotted by contamination in this world was, was priority. That's why Jesus would say, go back and look at Hosea 6.6. Learn what it's saying. It's saying that I long for mercy to be expressed out of you. More than I desire for you to have all of the sacrificial regimen completely taken care of. I'm looking for mercy. The heart of God. The heart of mercy. So when Paul had his world rocked, listen, had his world rocked on the Damascus Road by the appearance of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus to his heart that the view he had had of God was wrong about God, at least in the sense that there's no room for mercy. It's all about performance. It's all about jumping the bar. It's all about towing the line. It was this Paul. He said, for two years I went in the desert, 
the Arabian Desert. Two, Paul just disappeared for two years because he had to have his whole theology rewritten. He came out of the desert believing that he had heard from the Lord the heart of the gospel, what the Lord's Supper was all about. And his, and his commission was clear then. But there was some stuff inside him that had to be retooled. <laughs> In the light of this first revelation. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. Man mankind, meaning Nobody was in a church yet. Nobody had repented yet in the New Testament sense of the word. Nobody had been baptized. He's not saying this about the church or the choir. He's saying the entire human race was the object of the love of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, here's something, just to be real honest. Some of us schooled and steeped in the thing that God is so upset, he's, he's, so, he, he's so angry, he's so predisposed to judge and to throw lightning bolts and so forth, is that when, if, when you buy into that, you cannot honestly say to John Q. Public out there, God loves you. God loves you because you're convinced he doesn't. He's mad at him. He doesn't love you. You better get yourself right, and you better get yourself right quick because if you don't get yourself right quick, you know. There is an urgency to present the gospel. There is, it is true, an urgency to call for repentance. But if the call for repentance is absent from the underpinning. The, the, the great heart of kindness that is in the heart of God and his love for mankind, then, then we can be firing bullets into the souls of people that do great damage instead of do what we would wish that they would do. So Jesus would speak, repent or perish. He would say that, repent or perish. But that was not the message that brought him out of heaven. The message that brought him out of heaven when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Now, let me give you a couple of meaning of some words. The word kindness, it's a, that, that's the English word, but it, as you would expect, coming from one language into another, sometimes it takes multiple words to phrase the meaning of an important, an important word that needs to be more fully understood. The grace that pervades the whole nature is this kindness. Mellowing all that would have been harsh and austere. Mellowing all that would have been harsh and austere. In other words, there is a harshness to the justice of God, the truth of God in a sense. But this word applied to the character of God means that the attribute of who he is that doesn't, doesn't remove those other parts of his, but it, 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 it pervades his whole heart, 
What is it, kindness? He is true. He will judge. But his heart is a heart of kindness. So where does the meanness come from in the world? Not from God. Paul was able to get that clear. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, a world full of the meanness of Satan, the meanness of the devil, the meanness of sin, that's where that comes from. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Okay, let me take that one apart. Love for mankind is the word. We get our word philanthropic. It, it, it means philos is a word. There's one word for love, but it is a word that is often tied to the love that two friends would have between each other. Philos, friend, anthropos, anthropos, man, friend of man. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his desire for friendship with man appeared, Jesus would say, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to what? To save the world. To rescue the world. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. On the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind. That means a fondness for mankind, expressing itself in a courtesy towards mankind. A friendly, considerate demeanor, a readiness to help, and a cherishing of fellowship. He's not talking to church people. He's not talking about Bible-memorizing, praise-singing, hand-raising congregations. He's saying, God expressed in Jesus, has this kind of heart for the lost world as well as the saved part of the world, but for all humankind. There are no restrictions. In any direction heaven looks, kindness and a desire for fellowship, a desire for friendship. So, Luke is overwhelmed in the words. Maybe I'm saying too much, but it, just, it seemed like that he's, he can't get over it. These tax gatherers and sinners were coming to Jesus, trying to get near Jesus, to listen to him. They were trying... There was something inside the heart of this most holy, most pure, 
person who's ever walked the face of the earth. There was something inside him that even though they knew he was different than they were, that his standards were higher than theirs were, they still wanted friendship with him. And he wanted friendship with them. Now, folks, if you'll let this, this will absolutely set you free. God has set us in this world with sovereignly arranged and designed spheres of influence and spheres of relationship. You know who you know for a reason. You're in the family you're in for a reason. You, you have the job that you have for a reason. Let this in. I'm telling you, it'll set you free. You walk into Taco Cabana and want to buy everybody's dinner that you see when this hits you. You do not bear the responsibility to change any of them. But you have the opportunity to be a friend to everyone. You say, does that just mean I'm soft? That just mean I'm soft, just put up with stuff? Well, ask that question about Jesus. You are the light of the world, he would say. The light that is in you cannot be covered up. There's stuff coming out of you by the power of the Spirit that is supernatural without saying a word, there's influence. Saying the words that he puts into your heart to speak, there's power, there's authority, there's result. But here's what he said. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, he, he, not you, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. He'll convict the world of righteousness because I'm taken from the world. I'm no longer here. They can no longer behold me, but there will be such a real standard of my presence in the person of the Spirit that it will be as if I'm here. He will do that. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. But somehow, in the way that God knows, works best, he assigns us to take advantage of the opportunities for relationships and friendships. And he leaves completely in his hands the responsibility to convict and to change and to make a difference in the insides of the people. You see, a lost person is not an enemy to be conquered. A lost person is a friend to be won. When, when, you, when you let that in and you understand God's not mad at you because you're just, you're just drawn to this 
you just, you just like them. You just, you don't know why. You just, and there seems to be a chemistry there and kind of enjoy chatting. So, so what did Jesus talk about for the four or five hours that he was in Matthew's home and that he was in Zacchaeus's home? And, you know, I, I think he just listened probably a good bit. How's it going, Matthew? Tell me about your work. He would listen. And then he would speak. And the life of God inside Jesus was lighting the room up. But, but it wasn't trying to, it wasn't the kind that people were running from. There was something about that light that was warm. They were coming to him. Oh, I'm telling you. There's freedom in that. The assignment of the church is not to, as the Islamic world and their fundamentalist approach can be, well, if they don't believe, kill them. Spread Islam by the sword. The testimony of Jesus is exactly, precisely 180 degrees opposite. That our, our assignment, following the example our Savior. Kindness and a love for people. Courteous, interested in them. You know, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But you know what he said about that? He said, there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there are who go that way. But there's a narrow road that leads to life. He went to the cross knowing that the majority of human beings who would ever live would not choose him. He was a friend of sinners knowing that many of the sinners would never convert, would never change. And you see, people can smell that. You're wanting to have lunch with me because you're trying to convert me. You're being nice to me because you're thinking you're going to get me to sit next to you in your church service or give to your 501. You can just lose that as a follower of Jesus and be so happy you can't stand your new perspective. Well, did they believe whether they accept, whether they change, it doesn't alter the fact that I'm expressing the heart of God's heart for them. I'm loving them. I'm wanting to be courteous to them. I'm wanting to show them respect. Whether they change or not. Okay. There's no way we figure out which side of the aisle we're on. News comes on, and you listen to very much of the printed and video news. I mean, you, you come to the conclusion, depending on here, that the, the, the United States of America is just one step away from total destruction, total annihilation, that it's just God just has a right to just wipe us all off. So this was just so terrible, so awful. No doubt there's sin. No doubt there's a need for a great revival. 
No doubt there's a need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here's the point. You don't need Jesus to sit yourself in a position of saying, that's wrong, and that deserves judgment, and there's some more judgment, and here's another reason why America's fallen off the abyss. You, you, don't, you don't need the kindness of God to arrive at that place. You don't need the love of God for mankind because it won't take you there. What will happen is you hear the same stuff, but when this drops 18 inches, when it was kindness that brought him, it's kindness that pervades the atmosphere of the heart of God. It is his love for mankind. Then you listen to that stuff, and instead of just saying, nuke them, God, you're right, it's time to bring fire down. Instead of that, it's God. Set them free. Pour out your mercy, Lord. They don't, they're bound. Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. Where did he say this? When did these words come out of his mouth? as he was dying for the rest of the world who would not believe. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We get in all these little Bible study groups, little huddle groups, and we sit around, we stare at each other, and we're, we convince each other that we're five minutes away from the wrath of God hitting the United States of America. And then next month, we try to figure out why it didn't, ha why it didn't happen in February, but it's coming. Get a life. Get a life. Get a life. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. We, we, we pray for revival. But praying for revival is about God reviving hearts. God God setting captives free. God turning minds to Jesus and the cross and the, and the power of freedom. That, that's revival. It's not that America's up in smoke. Come on. Don't need to say to the church, go back and read Titus 3, 4, and 5. There's freedom there. There's joy there. There's life there. That I can have lunch with folks. I can... Spend an evening with people. I can arrange to have some time together just out of a common interest, but my, I'm interested in them. And it's, it's beyond hobbies. It's, beyond, it's for their soul. But I know that unless they begin to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, I, I, I could go through the whole book of James and Greek and backwards and they'd never get a word. What's that? but they would understand some conversation about things that they're interested in. They would understand some things in this life that we share an interest in. I'm just saying, you got permission to cultivate friendships. And not just permission, I think that's our assignment. When we pray, Lord, Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill me. Sometimes we get think, I want to be filled with the spirit just so I can have a little more joy, just so I won't be quite as cranky. I just want to be filled with the spirit just so I can have what these other people have, raising their hands and do this other stuff. What did he say for the purpose for the filling of the Holy Spirit? Why? Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. 
after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall what? Be happy, be laughing, be, be skipping and dancing in the aisles of the church. That, that, that could happen. But you shall receive power after that. You shall be my witnesses. You, you know why it may be that the Lord hadn't opened some doors for you to step into some places that you, you think, man, you're right. I think I have something to say. If I could ever get in that door. What if it's because you've already prejudged the ones inside the door? <laughs> what if that's it? The, the Lord's got to hold you back over here. He's got to limit you until you get this thing worked out. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He just loved people right where people were. He lived his life out, and for they would ask him, he would tell them. They wanted to talk. It seemed that he would listen. Woman at the well, on and on and on. But in the process of that, God was doing something in the room. And for God to be doing something in the room, it doesn't have to mean that you're quoting Scripture, the Roman road, and going through the sinner's prayer with people. I, I, I remember feeling that that was just kind of, that was the only witness that counted. That was it. That just, you just had to get people to pray through. When the time's right, when they're ready, you'll know, you'll be ready, you'll have it. Jesus, will you just do for them what you did in me? Lord, I, just pray this with me. I'm a, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe the best I can, you died on the cross for me. And you raised, you were raised again on the third day. And Lord, the best I can right now, and you can repeat after me, pray this with me. The best I can right now, I open my heart up to you and ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Folks, I've had that happen driving back from Catula on 35 with men. I'm driving, and I say, close your eyes and you pray. <laughs> out under shade trees, out on the I, I, when it doesn't have to be in a church house. But if you've got a relationship, and the time for the new birth is at hand. You'll know what to say. And they'll trust you. Not that you're some kind of religious charlatan. A snake charmer. Trying to sell you wares. But when the kindness of God our Savior. And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration, of the, new, the washing of a new birth, <laughs> and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living Christ inside that heart, making all things new. That's his part. Your part, my part, is how he engages with the humans on this planet. And the ones out of all those billions that he has arranged that should be in our circle of relationships are there for a wonderful reason. You have permission. You have permission. You have permission 
for friendship. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you took all the time and effort to give to Luke what he needed to write down, to remind Matthew of what he needed to write down, so that we could freshly be encouraged and stirred in our hearts today by the example that you left. Father, I ask you to forgive us for being so condemning and so judgmental and so prone to ostracize, to just get away from what we would feel is contaminating instead of praying, Lord, will you give to me your heart for that person? Will you show me what it is about that one that you love? Would you show me what it is you see? And it must be, Lord, because you look at every living soul in the light of hope for that one. The hope that you know is real can be a reality by the working of your spirit in time. There's, there's no one beyond hope when you move in. Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive us for taking some steps that have just caused us to be ostracized, be, be set on a, we're out of the game. We're we're not on the field anymore because our conclusions and judgments have just put us on the bench. We're not relevant. Oh, Lord, you are wonderfully and amazingly relevant. Anoint us in that way. Lord, I ask you for that, that you'd anoint us with the ability to develop friendships that folks would be able to trust truth in us and a genuineness of our heart that we just care about them. We're interested in their eternity, but we, we care about them right now. And then we'll trust you, Lord, to open the doors for the gospel to be spoken. The truths of Jesus, the truths of heaven and hell, the, the truths of all the things that are important for them to know that that you will in your time open their hearts and open our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.